da 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 It's our Game of Thrones podcast. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 4, The Last of the Starks. I don't really get the name for this episode, personally. Do you? I, I mean, I guess that they're kind of saying this is... Because there's an argument, I guess, about who is the the heir to Winterfell, I guess. Mm, I guess that's true. Because there's a conversation, I think... Is it Tyrion who has a conversation with Bran that, oh, you're the Lord of Winterfell now? And Bran's like, I'm a weird goth kid now. And they're like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, don't tell me what to do, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like the last we're going to see of Bran at this point. <laughs> I don't see him being much help to anyone going forward. Yeah, uh, I just feel like that was sort of the way of being like, I live in the past now. I don't really care about anything. My work here is done. <laughs> yeah. Beep, boop, beep, boop. I, I have to go now. My home planet needs me. Uh, second time we referenced that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, this this episode, um, for me, this has been the best episode of the season, which is granted a low bar, uh, while sort of putting the caveat that the positives are heavily weighted in the first half. <laughs> and there's still a lot of really dumb shit to wade through. Yeah. I think this episode is, is kind of the closest we can get to what really feels like a George R. R. Martin plot outline, but with Benioff and Weiss filling in the details in the most sloppy, ham-fisted way possible. Right. <laughs> like like the script was due tomorrow morning kind of yeah. way to get there. I sort of described it, we were talking about it at work all day, as typically we do. I described it as, you know, like when you're driving on a highway and they've paved like one half of it <laughs> and you need to switch lanes and it's like the most terrifying thing. You feel like your car is just going to like drive off the road. Yeah. Where you have to go up by like yeah. three quarters of an inch. Yeah. It's like, but, this but you're going like 80 miles per hour. So it's like yeah. really terrifying. That's what we're doing right now. We're in the process of that because we've been... We've been driving, we were driving along the same road, and then we took a big detour for a long time, and now we're trying to get back on the highway, but we have to be going so fast that it's, like, very hard to do it in a graceful way, because now we're, uh, I also did an Ancient One style from Endgame, ooh, no spoilers, um, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, description of, like, how, like, stuff works, and, you know, on, on paper in the office, and, like, this is where, this is why we're struggling, because they're going to this same potentially good ending and now just like how do we get okay we gotta we gotta make this thing happen we gotta make danny have one dragon left exactly right <laughs> we have to uh ensure that you know these people are in this place and this confrontation happens and okay this was sloppy but at least we're where we need to be and that's sort of the my overall take on this episode is that there's a lot of dumb shit in favor of what i think or at least we're leading to is good shit which is somewhat better than what's been for a while, which has been dumb shit in the favor of more dumb shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I like the idea that um, so much of Daenerys's like power and claim to power is based on her dragons and the assumption that they are still the kind of extinction level super weapon that she thinks they are. Mm-hmm. 
and it's turning out that maybe that's not the case and that maybe by the time we get to the final end game like she might have no dragons at all um i think that's kind of a neat little twist and it does feel kind of like a martin style twist if we're setting her up as this person who just like she just assumed that everything was going to be the way the prophecies and the histories foretold it you know yeah and they you know they specifically reference like this messiah complex she has right and losing the people around her and then losing two of her dragons within a fairly short amount of time with you know the third one looking particularly vulnerable now is really contributing to her sort of like state of mind and the the, i'm not going to say it's unraveling i don't think that we're going to get full mad queen daenerys i don't think daenerys is going to at any point this season be evil in the same way that we might consider joffrey or ramsey or even someone like tywin or roose bolton like evil i just think that and that's the point of this goddamn show is that like good and evil are kind of dumb concepts and at least the point of the story i should say is that and that you know we can have two characters who eh, both make reasonably good points we might side with one over the other and think it's better but it's not about one being evil or just you know even even beyond selfish right like cersei you know at this point i think has crossed the line into evil a while ago but that came out of like a sort of paranoia and selfishness that didn't start as just like i like i enjoy watching people suffer right uh so i don't know if we're gonna get like a full evil danny but we're definitely getting some sort of conflict which is exactly where you and i i think wanted the story to go yeah i mean they're telegraphing that like crazy now and i don't think they have in the next three hours of television the final three hours of game of thrones i don't think they have time to steer away from that right i don't think we're getting like a a back and forth either like a conflict and then a resolution where she lives and everyone's happy or whatever right right? like where they're gonna spend all of episode five patching up this rift they spent all of you know they spent so much time building this rift and then they're just gonna like hug it out uh in the last you know at the 11th hour i doubt it um and i also don't think that there's enough cersei story left for another three hours right i feel like there's kind of a gaping hole here um so yeah obviously and we've been we've been somewhere between prediction and wishing (laughs) yeah uh how this how this is going to end and you know it makes the most sense that this show ends on a conflict between someone who was told their entire life that the throne is rightfully theirs and they are divinely willed to possess it and someone who the last thing that they want is to be in uh a leadership role who does not believe in this leadership structure this hierarchy um and doesn't want really doesn't want to be a part of it yeah i think that we are going to end this show i mean there's still like i'm really not positive what's going to happen here i know this conflict is going to happen i have some some predictions on you know what's going to happen as part of that conflict but as far as the end state of the show, you know, who wins the Game of Thrones? I'm really thinking we're just going to get a John on the throne at this point. I hope not. That just I, feels so I know. lame. And I agree with you, but no one's presented any other alternatives at this point. And I sort of feel like for, I don't know. I mean, there's, been, there's you know, there's more of a decentralized 
multiple kingdoms, self-governance kind of thing going on. But I'm just not sure there's been enough work to think that anyone but the North really cares about that. I mean, maybe if Dorne, which I'm not asking for this, but like in the books, I could see Dorne being another presence of like, they might pull off and try and also self-declare and, and, you know, extract themselves, even though in this episode it's made it clear that they declared for Danny. I just sort of think that they're like, I sort of thought that maybe Varys might be the one to present it, but you know, some sort of compromise solution or other situation where the throne isn't involved, but he seems very much in, and I really liked his role in this episode uh, and his conversation with Tyrion, which I think was one of the best parts of the episode Uh um, that he seems very much in the camp of, we just need the right King. Or queen. So I think, yes, but I, but I think that, and I think you could get there, but I think you're right. So far, we haven't had a character who's really been the voice of maybe nobody should be the king, but I also think there's room in the final episode for someone to come to that conclusion. I think you could, um, I think there is an opportunity for, and maybe it's John. Or maybe it's Arya, because she kind of, in this episode, kind of hinted that she was kind of above all this lords and ladies thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bronn also had kind of, when he was talking about, like, all the the great houses were essentially founded by murderers. Yeah, uh, which was the only good part of that scene. Uh, but, I, don't yeah, know I have a lot of thoughts about is. that, yeah. but I don't want to get... Um, so I think maybe... They're sowing the seeds for it. But you can imagine a scene where uh, Daenerys and Cersei essentially just, in their crazy battle, uh, end up, you know, just leveling King's Landing. And you see Jon Snow surveying the ashes, and he sees the Iron Throne, you know, still standing. And he, and he, he basically says, all of this death and destruction was for this stupid chair. Look what, look what this, look is what it... It gives to us. No one should have it because all it does is create war and battle and bloodshed. Uh, and then they start shouting, you know, like, Commissar in the North, Commissar in the North. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, definitely going to happen that way. <laughs> but I, I, I'm just saying, I think you can still get there because I, I, I would imagine if. Benioff and Weiss want this to be a satisfying conclusion for all the people who spent the last 25 years trying to figure out who's going to win the Game of Thrones, like it's the Super Bowl or something. You need to pay off for those people. You need to you need to bring them along with that idea. So I think that they, I still think they could get us there. I really hope it's not a Jon Snow on the on the throne and a heavy hangs the head that wears the crown kind of ending. Right. Because I feel like, I don't know, I, I just, I feel like George R. R. Martin, he wants to save Westeros. That is what these books are kind of about. It's not about saving the individual characters. It's about saving Westeros. And I think he wants to, he doesn't want to save it from the Lannisters. He wants to save it from the the legacy of the Targaryens. That's what I feel like this is all building to. And I think just putting Jon Snow on the throne there doesn't get you there. But to bring it back to your point about Varys, to me, Varys started to sound like he's the voice of the people. Mm -hmm. He's saying, I serve the people. I do what's right for the realm. And Tyrion is is still kind of the voice of, 
okay, the king doesn't matter, but if they have the right people around them, maybe it's going to work out. And I think Varys is talking him out of that idea. But I don't think Varys has come around to the idea that the power structure itself and the temptation of the throne is itself a corrupting influence on whoever either is on the throne or wants to be on the throne. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who, and he's made, you know, there's people throughout the series, both books and, you know, the show that sort of, they're, they're people who make commentary on the system, man. Like, Braun in, in Last Night's episode, right? Like, he said, well, you know, at the end of the day, all your families are probably just someone who took a castle from somebody else and then stuck with it, right? Which is, like, you know, fair. It's pretty much all of society, right? At some point, you can trace back to somebody who stole something from somebody to... And got away with it. <laughs> and got away with it, right. So, fair. And, like, but, like, you know, it never... It's, it's that, that's always been there throughout the show, right? Like, Ferris has made comments, Bronze made yeah. comments. You know, people have deconstructed the system on, on the screen, but never in a way that made me think like we're moving towards that i mean and you know i i feel i feel torn because in one hand i really i agree with you about the themes and george r. r martin's point and like what this feels like it's building to but i also feel like there's a lot of me where it's just like how much change can we expect this is probably the most you know in some ways this is the most most tumultuous this continent has been but in other ways i don't know I'm, I'm unsure i'm just not sure where the show is gonna take it that being said i think that we I want to talk about a couple of things this episode I thought did really well right from the beginning. Sure. A, we've ditched some goddamn characters. Like, and usually Tormund's humor just usually just is just okay for me. I actually laughed a lot last night <laughs> at yeah. his, his jokes and then his reaction to Brienne scorning him. Um, but then he left, and it's like, all right, see ya. Um, we don't need you anymore, which is the correct decision for his character and his people, right? Like, I'm not going down to fucking fight some queen who's never going to bother me in a million years. So we're going to go back to where we belong. Um, where we want to be. Great. Um, the ghost thing was weird. Okay, I agree, but keep going. I get the symbolism, right? Like, John is sort of sending away, you know, maybe this is related to the episode title as well, like, the last vestige of his Starkhood son of thing. But you know what I mean? Like, he, he, it's a symbol that he might be embracing his role that goes beyond just the North and that he's turning his back on, you know, probably where he really wants to be which is in the north or in the you know beyond the wall living yeah, a life of freedom no, that's, that, that's what i that's that's how i interpreted but i still think it's just like they made such a big fucking deal out of these direwolves this whole show for like the first you know five seasons and then it's just like all right take my dog see ya yeah like, i agree i i think that the the show's done a very bad job with the direwolf situation right and like these things are like you know they were so symbolic of like the different kids and like so linked to them as characters and i just feel like you know one by one the the treatment of them got less and less important and more and more like especially with like the fact that we've also avoided the fact that there's this sort of not all the kids but at least some of their kids also have some sort of like semi warging yes ability that was not used in the show which is fine you got to cut some things it was probably not important like aria and john both sort of have that talent a little bit it seems judging my dreams and stuff so fine whatever like it seems like that's probably last we're gonna see a sam that seems like a pretty much a send-off scene for yeah. him and gilly great um i really liked you know the stuff in you know the opening scene was fine like i half the army i feel like we should be a little more than half and then so, the whole like roughly equal to cersei okay seems a little convenient yeah um i want to go back to the farewell scene a little bit okay and I think that 
what you touched on the idea that that scene is really trying to communicate John belongs in the North. Mm-hmm. And because he's sending away his his dog. And yeah, the the show's done a bad job of, you know, dealing with John and Ghost's relationship. But, I mean, just in broad strokes, the dog represents, you know, usually when a character has a dog... The dog represents their soul, or their better, the better, the better angels of their nature. Like it is their true self, their noble self. And he sends that dog away to live in the north, where it belongs. Direwolves don't belong south of the wall. I mean, it, it was very obvious that, like, they're to me anyway, that they're like by him sending Tormund and Sam, kind of his maybe closest friends, you know, from his from the from the the night's watch and uh uh rangering part of his life kind of when he really found his identity right mm-hmm. uh outside of just the bastard stark boy you know he finds his identity and he and the remaining vestiges of that he sends north back where they belong so he can go south and get involved in some bullshit cuz he's got a bossy girlfriend and <laughs> it's so I actually really appreciated that symbolism, and I was like, yay, they're showing in kind of a loose way what he wants without him having to sit down and have a conversation with another character to explain what they want. Um, question of, do we pay that off? But it was something where I got a glimpse of what a character wants, because this show is not very good at telling me what any individual character wants at any given moment. Right. No, I agree, and I thought that both... Uh, for one, Kit Harrington and and the guy who plays Tormund, their acting was like particular particularly good in that scene. I was like, yeah. oh, like it's actually like it elicited some emotion, which I didn't think Tormund leaving would. But um, out of all the characters, right, I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of this is this is good. This is good. I like this. Um, the, oh, the other stuff. So the Jamie and Brienne stuff. Uh, that all I've seen some complaints about it, but like that all kind of landed for me. I thought they're sort of awkward set up for that made sense in their context and i you know there's obviously a lot of like him leaving is very you know there, there's some maybe problematic stuff but there's a little bit of like how it once again he's fucking goddamn inside the episodes like okay. i was i was like okay cool like jamie is struggling with this he's sort of implying that he is going back to cersei but we all know that's not going to end you know, he's just, he is, I didn't, and then, so, maybe sorry, the way they described it in the after the episode being, like, he's addicted to her, and I'm like, ah, I don't know, like, hey, that's not what the scene implied to me, like, it implied a couple things, it implied that he, he does care about her still, and he, maybe he's gonna try, like, one more time, or he's gonna go fucking kill her, so, but I also think he doesn't deserve, he thinks he doesn't deserve to be with Brienne. I, I'm not sure... I mean, I didn't like, I didn't like them hooking up. I always felt like their relationship was better if it was strictly platonic. And to me, their their relationship reached its, for lack of a better word, consummation in uh, episode two. He knighted her. She got the validation from him that she wanted. Uh, he recognized her as a complete person, and I was good with that. And I much, I would much prefer if their relationship had stayed that way. Mm. On the Jamie leaving scene, I really think that that dialogue was vague for a reason and that he is going to kill her. 
Yeah. Because the news that makes him leave is not that Cersei's in danger. It's that he gets wind that they killed a dragon, and that's what makes him upset, right? Yeah. Or that's what makes him start to doubt, which... Now, you could look at that as he's triangulating. Well, Danny's going to be super pissed, which means this is really, things are going to be much, much worse. So I better get down there to protect Cersei. Or he's thinking, oh no, Cersei, there's no peaceful way out of this. He was kind of in a blissful world where he thought maybe, um, maybe they're going to go down there and they're going to make it, they're going to make a peace treaty and everything. And I can just stay up here in the north with my new girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's going south because he thinks he needs to interfere. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm going to, you know, this is just personal, like, opinion interpretation, I guess, is that I I, I always felt the sparks between them, and I always thought it was building to a romantic relationship because, in my eyes, the thing that was interesting about them developing a relationship was that they're both sort of, like, uh, in a relationship area, like, emotionally stunted. Sure. Like, I get the impression that Jamie's probably never been with another woman besides yeah. his sister, which, you know, obviously we're from his sister, but, like, that is, um, you know, sort of emotionally stunting in its own way of, like, being with the same person in this sort of, like, weird, controlling, secretive relationship that, you know, is kind of somewhat, somewhat abusive towards one another at points that we've seen. And, like, and then she's obviously, like, suppressed her sexuality and her view of herself as a woman. And I think them sort of developing through that together is is part of their arc so i was okay with that yeah i i i'm okay with it on paper i guess i just this is my basic biggest problem with the episode one of my problems with the jamie leaving scene and if i'm correct that he was just being vague this is something that this show does a lot that i hate and that is and other shows do this too it's where people have a conversation like two people like jamie and brienne they have a long his they have a history together they have a relationship they've had a lot of conversations they know each other but he's talking to her in very vague cryptic terms like just talk like a person dude tell her exactly what you're going to do like yeah i just had the thought that maybe if if it really was a decisive like i am going to kill her that he knew that if he if he told brienne that that she would insist on coming maybe maybe but it's, it's but 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 I, it, it's just that you get into these situations where benioff and weiss want to surprise us later so they have so either they have certain parts of conversations happen off screen so we don't know what was said or decided or they have characters just speak really cryptic things to each other and then the other person in the conversation says like yeah but like are you gonna go fight for her because if that's the case maybe we should have a. We should keep talking about this, man. Like yeah. there is, it's it's and Lost did this all the time of characters just intentionally withholding information from each other for no reason other than it keeps the mystery going, preserves right, the tension right. in the plot. Um, I call it the CW play. Yeah, like, <laughs> you guys, why don't you just tell each other what's going on? And a similar thing happened with. Um, and I don't know if you want to get there yet, but the conversation between the Stark kids in the Godswood. Yeah, see, at first I was like, come on. Then I was kind of like, well, so I don't know. I feel like part of me thinks that seeing all their reactions, I'm a little torn. Cause I, I do think that there is a certain level of like not showing their immediate reactions 
help to preserve some of the mystery and what they're going to do, which in this context might be okay. It still feels dumb because they've been, like to your point, they've been doing it a lot and it's very frustrating. So it kind of felt like they're piling on. But in this specific case, I almost feel like it was okay because if Sansa would have like argued with him, it would have made her telling Tyrion a little less impactful and less dramatic. So I, I don't know. I, this is the one where I'm a little bit like, mm, I could maybe go either way. I can't quite decide how I feel. So there are certain times where they are yada, yada, yada-ing that conversation in the show they're just cutting it because presumably it's one character just giving information to another character that we the audience already know and we're Mm going to cut ahead to essentially like when Tyrion and Varys are having the conversation on the ship we yada yada the whole all the exposition so that we can just get to how they're starting to process this information right fine but there are other times when for these characters, this revelation for Sansa and Arya and for John to have this conversation, this is a pivotal moment in the emotional lives of three of our main characters. Yeah, this is true. And we are having it off screen. I don't necessarily need, I, I mean, I don't. And I think that it would have brought, knowing how Sansa reacted and what she thought of it and how much she knows you know when john tells them this does he say oh and by the way Daenerys is super touchy about this subject right now so keep it to yourselves did mm-hmm. he reveal that part or did he just say here's who i am mm-hmm. or or you had bran tell them whatever he was uh because that creates some interesting wrinkles into sansa's calculations and then when i think sansa has the decision to tell Tyrion, if i kind of know what Sansa thinks of this situation when she's having that conversation, to me, that conversation gets much more interesting. Yeah, that's true. And I, you know, because there was a little bit vague, like, once again, into the episode says that Sansa calculated all of this out, which, fine, I'm okay with that. Um, I, but it was a little vague in the moment, like, was this a split second decision because she kind of hesitates? Or was this a calculated, you know? Right action and i think to your point if we would have seen her reaction we would have had a little more insight into what that was and and how what her role in this is and i and i worry that it's 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 just this kind of cheap tv storytelling thing of we keep the important conversations off screen so that we can surprise the viewer later the so there's a uh i actually have an article that i'll i'll cite um it's by lily luff Luffborough, I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly, uh, for the week. She wrote this back in 2017, talking about season seven. She calls it the black box problem. We have important conversations happening in a black box, meaning we, the audience, don't know anything about it. And the example, one of the examples she gives is this idea of there are conversations on the show that must have happened in order for the events to play out the way we saw them. And the example she gives is, so Sansa and Arya had to have a conversation at some point about Littlefinger and how they were, okay, everybody thinks we hate each other, right? So let's keep that charade going so that Littlefinger thinks he's won and then we'll bring him into a fake trial. And then at the last minute, we'll turn it around and oh no, you're on trial and then we'll kill him, right? That conversation happened. And also Sansa and Arya, like mending their differences all that happened off screen so that we could have a cool moment later on. And the show has become increasingly dependent on this technique. And 
it's the kind of thing that works well for like a villain or like a secondary character who we don't spend a lot of time with. Like they get to surprise us with a trick up their sleeve or, ooh, we, you know, surprise, we sent Euron's fleet out to ambush you. Like you get surprised by the villains. I don't like getting surprised by the heroes, especially in something like Game of Thrones and the book series that has such a tight perspective on your point of view characters. And you really feel like, I know what John knows. I know what Sansa knows. Yeah. Now, maybe John knows something that Sansa doesn't, and I know those two things put together, but if there's an important conversation John has, I'm there for it. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this in this discussion last time, but I, in the Red Rising trilogy, I have that problem too, where it's a first person, single perspective book series, and there's so many like twists and turns which are very cheap because like you're getting this character's inner dialogue but then they're like aha i was kidding the whole time and you're like well but i was getting your inner thoughts dude like um so yeah i think that you know it, it's there's a line where sometimes you need to do it but if you become like i said too reliant on it it it's it becomes a crutch that then weakens your story it's sort of yeah. like when you're a horror writer and you literally end every chapter with it and then everything went black yeah and, and it's like oh, okay <laughs> and it, it 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 becomes like this show is at its best when you think things are going one way and then surprise your dragon got shot that is and that only works if i feel like i know what if I know where things are heading, and I think I know where all the pieces are, and I think I know the directions everything's going, and then boom, something comes in. But the more of these black boxes you have, and the less I know about even what my main characters are thinking, or wanting, or planning, or doing, then I lose that sense of, I know the direction we're headed in, and I know anything can happen, but instead it's like, I don't know what anybody's doing, I don't know what anybody wants, I guess we'll just see what happens. Yeah. That's fair. Speaking of that, uh, the Jamie Braun Tyrion scene. Yeah. What are your what thoughts? Is, what is the What is the point of the storyline? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what this is about. Like any other show, I can at least, even if it's bad, I can be like, I kind of see what they're going for here. Like they're trying to do this, they're trying to do that. Like I don't know what what the point of this is. I don't know what the point of that scene was. I don't know. I couldn't. Braun was all over the place as far as his characterization. I'm just really unsure of like what are we doing here and why there must be. He must have some role to play in the next two episodes i'm just not seeing but yeah so i, I i'm with you 100 percent. i actually liked this scene in isolation and i thought i actually liked him being kind of all over the place because for a guy that normally is very kind of cool and once you know one step ahead of everybody else i kind of liked seeing him off balance a little bit and mm -hmm. maybe a little drunk but also <laughs> to me that added a whole lot of tension to the scene as he's just kind of swinging this fucking crossbow around yeah just in jamie and, and Tyrion's faces and i'm like and i was like there is at least a 50 50 shot he accidentally murders one of these dudes <laughs> and that would be a twist um but and i like the points he made about it i like this interaction i like this little crew um but if basically it was ah cersei wants me to kill you and then they say don't kill us please and he says okay i won't I'll see you after all the fighting's done. Right. And you're like, so did you need to be in this show at all? Like, it, again, I have to go my home planet needs me. Like, yeah. It just feels <laughs> like, why did we have any of this? I... Because he shows up in episode one in a totally gratuitous scene to be handed a crossbow, told to go kill them. 
and then he doesn't show up at all and 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 we were never meant to think that that was going to add any tension you know you never saw him like slowly making his way northward or anything like that oh no what's gonna happen when Braun gets there and he just shows up yeah what is the point of this because again if he just shows up at the end like i'll take high garden now what yeah um i did i mean i did like yeah, like I said, there's there's a lot of parts of the scene where it's just like, hmm, yeah, ballsy, but I like it. Like, you know, what's Double River Run? High Garden. It's like, okay, yep, that's Double. Sounds like they say nothing, but yeah, like, oh yeah, that is kind of Double River Run. Um, yeah, I I just don't really know what the point. I just once again, I'm not sure if like I just don't know why Braun's still around. Like the yeah. show, the books, like he he he's not really in the books post like book three. No, he serves a purpose, and then. And, like, I get, like, I actually agree with their decision to keep him around and have him fill other spots that, like, we didn't need ill and pain training Jamie. Like, that would yeah. be another useless character. Like, Braun's a good fit for that. Makes for some funny, you know, dialogue and whatever. But past that, I'm like, why is this guy still sticking around? As much as I enjoy him as a character, he's fun. But, like, yeah, so I don't know. That was weird. Um, so the other things that I, I really liked some of the other interactions. Like, I really liked the, the Sansa Hound interaction um i thought that was interesting and i like i just really like the hound's character in general because he's sort of trying to make this heel turn but he's also got so much fucking emotionally emotional stunted baggage that like he just can't like be a normal human being and i felt that you know sansa it's a it's a sort of power thing for sansa where she can like she now knows what the hound's deal is and that's why she sort of gave him a tender moment because she knows that he he was looking out for her in King's Landing in a weird, creepy way. Right. And having seen a true, mo- having seen multiple true monsters, because she thought he was the the monster of them all, right? Like, yeah. And she now knows that he's not a monster, and he wasn't a monster. If it was a little creepy, um, and him saying like, you know. I, I would never have done those things to you. It didn't come across to me as like a jealousy thing or like I loved you kind of thing. It was just like, you know, you made the wrong choice. Like, I'm just making sure you know. And she's like, and then for her to once again own her past and talk about how it's made, you know, what it's done to contribute to her as a person. Like, I just, I don't know. I just liked it. So I, I, I did like it. I especially liked his performance and that sense of regret that he had where he's basically saying like if you'd left with me things would have been different and i don't take that at all at all like uh like we could have been in love i think it was just i think that he looks back at that as a shot at redemption that he missed yeah that if she had just come along with him like i think he saw through his path with aria and then his kind of rebirth like i think he sees that if he sand if he if he convinced her to go with him that all would have happened earlier for him mm-hmm. uh and i think he you know and i think he was very real there i don't know that i love her kind of saying like all that shit that happened to me worked out okay because now i'm cool uh the show's been doing that a lot in these last couple episodes of like all the hardships that happened to any particular character are okay because they're what got you to where you are today which i think is a little simplistic and i also it also felt like that was a little bit of the of the writers like poking back at the internet for being mad at them about uh, how they treated her when she was, uh, uh, you know, with Ramsey, uh, Ram- Ramsey's captive. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like they were saying like, "Look, Sansa's cool with it. Why can't you be cool with it?" Twitter. 
Yeah, that's an um, interesting take. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one thing that we were talking about work today was like when the feedback to things start, that feedback loop gets roped into the show yeah. at a, on a specific level, right? The ghost stuff, it's like, oh, well, we need, we can't forget about ghosts since we have past seasons. We better have a scene and you fucking half-ass it. Or I don't want the, I don't want, the, to your point, I don't want the writers talking to me about feedback they've gotten via Twitter. Like, yeah. that's not what I want in my entertainment. It's getting too meta, but. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the Arya Gendry stuff, I actually like that. Some people are like, it's so dumb. I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, he comes, I mean, for me, it has, like, for him, it, like, made complete, they're like, he doesn't even know Arya if that's what he thinks. Like, yeah, he doesn't really know her that well. Yeah, like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> like, he, he likes her a lot, and he just got given a fucking huge castle and he's a little drunk and he's a little bit high on life and he's like fucking world man let's fucking do this like let's get married you know what i mean it's like that classic scene in a lot of movies where it's just like you know uh one thing after another and you know i thought her reaction to it was like very sweet and you know i don't know i just i like that scene too but yeah i i i did i thought that the two of them together made it i think that i was almost I was almost kind of hopeful. I was like, hey, maybe these two just get a fucking happy ending. Maybe that's just, maybe that's just what happens here. Like, maybe she's, maybe, like, no, she's not going to be a lady in the traditional sense. But, you know, if she loves this guy and, you know, maybe I was hoping more. I honestly, the answer I wanted from her, and I actually said it, I called it wrong, uh, you know, when he says, like, you know, you know, marry me or whatever, I wanted her to say not today. Mm. Because yeah, I, I like the idea better that she feels like she has stuff she has left to do. Less so than I like the, like, her kind of, like, when she was talking to the Hound of, like, I'm going on this suicide mission. Yeah. Because um, I kind of liked the idea that, like, somehow in this process she had found herself again. And yeah. was willing to let herself want things beyond revenge. Yeah. And I would have been nice to see, like, that you can be too, like, you don't have to be, like, like you said, no one is mystical assassin or a fine, prim, proper lady. Like, I think the show is, themes. one of the themes of the story is, like, you know, breaking down those things. Someone like Brienne, like, you can be a badass knight and you can still have love. Yeah. And you can still, you know, be a woman, right? Like, you don't have to pick one or the other in this world just because that's what the structures have been up to this point. Like, you can be a, you know, quote-unquote normal lady or some weirdo, right? It would have been kind of interesting to have, you know, now we don't know what's going to happen, but, like, you know, to have the prospect, at least, of you're going to be a mystical assassin but also married to, you know, the lord of a castle, right? Like, you should be able to do that. That's what you want. Yeah. So, you know, compromises, not just, like, this or that kind of thing. Uh, and they might still end up together in the end. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, so this episode has been pretty damn divisive, and weirdly enough, I feel like this episode is getting way more hate than last episode. Weird. Which is weird to me because I think there's way more dumb shit in last episode than in this episode. But let's get to the dumb shit. Okay. So the second half of this episode is a lot more, you know, action packed, as you will, right? So like. Danny's going down the, the fleet with the uh, with her fleet and the dragons to go to Dragonstone to wait for John and the rest of the army to travel by land. Cool, that makes sense. Like from a you know travel perspective for goddamn once in this world. Um, then they get you know a surprise attack from the Euron fleet from the Greyjoy Iron Fleet, armed with these new and improved Scorpion ballistas. 
And there's a lot of complaints about, you know, the impossible angles to hit the dragon and how, you know, how they sniped it out of the air and then missed all the other shots and all this convenient stuff for plot. And you know what? I'm a little bit more willing to, like, two things. First, in this specific scene, I'm a little bit willing to be like, eh, I could kind of see how that could happen. Like, if you're a smart sailor, you can position your boats in a certain way, whatever. I'm willing to, like, give it a pass. I'm also willing to give it a larger pass because it's like, this scene surprised me and it also, like, I think it's contributing to a greater whole, a greater plot device, you know, plot machinations yeah. down the road. The macro plot, if you will. And... You know, the problem is, I will say the problem is, I fucking hate Euron Greyjoy <laughs> on the show. Like, no, like, oh, man, anybody, anybody on the show is miles ahead. Um, one of my coworkers at work who really likes Sansa says in her acting, is why I says, this girl's in a different show. Like, Sansa is in a, her character and her act, acting is in a different show. And my response was, if she's in a different show and then everyone else is in this show, Euron Greyjoy is in a whole nother show that's like, what's on worse the than The Walking Dead? Like, what's worse than, like, The Walking Dead at its lowest point is, like, this character. Like, he is such a fucking, ha- like, not even one-dimensional, like, 0.5-dimensional, like, bullshit character that is such a shade of what he could be based on in the book. And I don't mean to compare oh, yeah. it to that. Like, he's just annoying as hell. And to have him be one of, like, the last dudes standing, like, some just, like, a crass psychopath, like, we've seen much more interesting psychopaths before you, dude, like and much more menacing villains, and much everything, he's just, you know, a flaccid version of all the other villains we've seen so far, which is just so annoying. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I just have to get out. No, no, I fucking hate this guy. I don't... (sighs) He is, and and like the Night King, I know there is a character named Euron Greyjoy in the books, uh, who is a much more interesting and... uh, impactful character in the books mm-hmm. um but this guy other than the same name and like kind of being like the 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 lost black sheep Greyjoy kind of who shows up midway through and starts being a dick um there's no similarity so this guy is just purely a creation of Benioff and Weiss like the Night King mm-hmm. and when you look at a Bettyoff Weiss character versus a Martin character, like if you look at Cersei, and she is absolutely a villain, no doubt about it, but her villainy comes from motivations that you as a normal human understand. She wants to protect her family. She feels um, like she's been manipulated her entire life. She's been pushed into marriages that, you know, she's essentially became a sexual slave for her father's political ambitions, getting married off to Robert Baratheon. She hates the world because the world won't acknowledge her relationship with her brother. So, like, these are all, like, kind of normal things. Like, yeah, she's pissed off at the world that took her kids away. And at the, at the you know, the, the world that turned her into this kind of broodmare for Robert Baratheon. So all of that has kind of mis- metastasized within her and turned her into this horrible, cruel thing. Like, I get it. That is a that is a monstrous villain who is the hero of her own story. That's a George R. R. Martin character. And then you have this quote unquote Euron Greyjoy who's like he's like like Jack Sparrow but but not funny. <laughs> Alright, let's do it. And he's mean. Like, really? That's your that's your guy. And yeah. for him to show up and like you say, be kind of like a final boss almost. Ugh. Ugh. Get it get him off the screen. And, like, you had this chance to have, like, to really ham it up, right? 
because like the Euron Greyjoy from the books is like almost doesn't feel like he belongs in that book series, but is so cool that it's like I'll give it a pass, right? Like wizard, pirate, dreadlord, like full on pirate. I think he's got an eye patch the whole nine yards, like yeah, and, he's and the eye underneath can like, see the future or something. Yeah, something's going and he's on like, there. Legit fucking inspired by the Drowned God, his own madness, like, probably seen some Cthulhu shit, like, traveled the world, has all these magic items and stuff, and it's just like, what a cool thing to put on the screen. And I'm like, nah, just, like, make it some kind of, like, redneck douchey guy who likes to fucking drink beer, dude. Like, that's yeah. the kind of guy he comes across as, like, he's just, like, a douchebag you meet at a bar, and it's like, oh my god, can like, you, fuck this guy. Can you give Joshua Jackson, uh... The same haircut that Lee Schreiber had as Sabretooth. <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. Uh, and dress him in your, like, sleazy pickup artist uncle's, like, best going out to Vegas clothes. And <laughs> that's your own Greyjoy. We're done. Oh, this guy. So anyway, that aside, I have to put that out there. But, you know, the killing of Rhaegal was is interesting because, you know, kind of was a pulled the right off from under you she's like oh yeah he's all healed up and flying like oh fuck he's dead yeah and like that was kind of good and just like i think once again they had to check a box of like getting her down to one dragon and pissing her off and well and they were also kind of teasing a little earlier in the episode that like because they had that scene where danny was like feeling really dejected by everybody and like nobody wants to sit with me at the party and then later on she's with <laughs> the dragons and it, it kind of made it seem like Rhaegal was kind of like more like i like john now bye like there was this just this scene where Rhaegal kind of flies away as she's talking here about John or something like that, mm. and then Drogon stays. And you're like, and for me because I was like that was my one of my predictions for the ending was like, oh yeah no they're both gonna have a dragon and they're gonna fight on dragons because that's how you because if any other way John and Danny fight John wins because obviously, um, but. But I like that even that they were kind of teasing me a little bit. I was like, I see where you're going, Game of Thrones. I see where you're going. Oh, no, they killed a dragon. So I, yeah. I did like the surprise because I like when this show surprises me. Right. And surprises you for, like, within, like, within and has a reason and an effect, right? Like, yes. You know, I liked that they sort of showed that she let her, like, rage and vengeance sort of get the best of her. And then she sort of, like, snapped out of it and flew away. It's hinting that she's, you know, kind of losing control a little bit. Yeah. Where the proper thing to do would have been to immediately, like, pull back and, you know, fly down on the mountain or whatever. You know, there's a lot of people who's just, like, starting to super, super nitpick because people are so fed up with the show. Which, like, listen, I don't blame you. Like, nitpick away. But, like, at this point, I'm past that. Like, the show is showing that it doesn't give a fuck. So I'm not going to sit here and waste my time being like, well, why didn't she just fly behind well, them and do this? And why didn't they? And it's like, I just, and, I just, I don't know. And for me, I'm, I'm fine with Danny making mistakes here because... Danny makes tactical and strategic errors all the time. And Danny also uh, clearly has built herself up as this warrior queen, but does not have the chops for that. And for her to make tactical decisions in this battle, I'm like, that is right on with her character. And that's for the same reason why I'm not okay with when the plan for the Battle of Winterfell like was like kindergarten level because i'm like there are characters here who are smarter than this but for danny i'm like she doesn't know what she's doing she just thinks she's the dragon queen yeah yeah so that's all fine now the area where i feel a little more strongly that i don't that i feel what my 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 belief was not my i did not have the suspension of disbelief i needed to get through the scene unscathed like i you know the scene with the dragon was like abrupt and shocking and you know 
some questions, but whatever. We're like, when they go to parlay with Cersei, I just don't, like... I am with you 100%. There's, there's no mechanism under which... And, like, that scene overall was, like, okay for me. There's some problematic stuff, which we're going to talk about. But, like, I don't understand why Cersei just did not kill them. Yeah. Because she is not the kind of person who has any sort of honor or any cares about any of that kind of bullshit. She would have just, like, as the second she could have, she would have fucking unleashed hell on them. And that is something I'm just like, I'm not... Unless... The only thing I can think is that she's so arrogant about who she is and how she's going to hurt them by doing this that, you know, she's going to watch them see their friend die and going to make them have this. It just seems like that's just a stretch for me. So it's absolutely I, 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 what is Cersei's reason for not just killing them all then and there? What, what goal does she possibly have? What does she want in this scene? Because, I mean, even in the scene, Tyrion says, like, you hate your people, your people hate you, and she doesn't say, like, no, my people love me, what are you talking about? Like, she doesn't care if it looks bad for her. She mm-hmm. blew up a church full of, full of like, full of, like, you know, just church people. She blew up the church, yes. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes, she blew up the Vatican. Like, it's... um for obvious power reasons like Cersei don't give a fuck yeah um so yeah this scene I just I don't understand what she has to gain and there could have been you could have set up a situation where uh they had a hostage or something sure that there that they had some bargaining chip of why she wasn't gonna kill him yeah but right now, the way it looks, I mean, and, or even just kill the dragon. Right. Like, it was just sitting there. Yeah. They aren't the fastest thing on the ground, man. Like, got those fucking scorpions sitting there. I mean, I do like that they showed, I mean, so there's a couple things the scenes did. It showed that Cersei is a menace, that they've not been spending their time idly, and they've souped up the defenses of King's Landing, like, pretty extreme. Like, I thought they may have, like, two or three ballistas at this point, but they've got, like, one every ten feet. Yeah. You know? So, fine. It does help give a little credence to Danny's attitude of like we need to strike as soon as possible. All this at this point, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this scene, like I like Tyrion's approach. You know, his speech was good. I like how he just like fucking blew off Kyber and like shut the fuck up, dude. I don't care about you. You're you're beneath me. You know, as it's very problematic that they decided to, you know, kill the show's only woman of color in a way to give motivation to other characters. Uh, is this, you know, fridging, grade A fridging right here. I mean, it's not that, and you can't, it's not like you can't ever use that plot device. And generally speaking, the show has, I can't think of many other situations where they're like straight up fridge somebody. There's probably are some examples. Yeah. But, but here it's, it's, it, it sucks because again, yeah, shows only woman of color. Now, I also, I know that there's a narrative purpose here because it's not just necessarily about giving Daenerys one more reason to hate Cersei, which I think we could have got there a different way if we really needed to give her one more reason. But it's also about um, taking one more of her, Daenerys's level-headed advisors off the table, narratively speaking, because Tyrion is now on Team Stark. Varys is on Team Stark. Jorah's dead. Miss Andy's dead, which means nobody's around to tell Daenerys right from wrong anymore. 
it also reminded us that you know re-reminded us that cersei's a monster yeah re-reminded us that the mountain is a monster i mean literally now he's a monster but you know that he's still around i assume this gives good you know fridging once again but going to give motivation for gray worm to be part of whatever seal team six is going to go into king's landing i'm not, i'm almost wondering if we might get a couple different seal team sixes that are all going in at different points uh i'm not sure about that but because at this point you know Arya and the hound left which was good I'm good with that combo again they both have unfinished business fine so i'm not sure if we're gonna get like them two enter king's landing jamie enters king landing you know gray worm and i don't know somebody else enter king's landing and then like you know hijinks ensue right um so like there are some broader narrative you know plot points here that it serves i think that to help yeah. offset it a little bit but but i i just i feel like you could have got there some uh, a different way and also to have this weird setup where you have this big kind of naval massacre, but everybody survives except like one, only one hostage gets taken. Yeah. <laughs> and really, you're on Greyjoy, like scourge of the seven seas. Like he's going to let everybody just swim to shore except one. I don't yeah. understand. That just seemed laughable to me. I just like what probably would have helped that seem better is if like Danny did a better maneuver with the dragons. She went down and she roasted a ship or two, and like, and then Joran got like maybe injured, like you know, shot through the wing or something, where like yeah. he had to pull back. But Euron was also kind of bloodied in the back, you know, like they kind of had to pull back, so that kind of be a little more reason for like the fact that they didn't pursue and like continue to pursue this navy, right? Like, why didn't they just finish them right there on the yeah. shores of Dragonstone? Yeah. Like, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, so you know, some problems, but I do understand, you know, that the sea, why the sea existed and stuff for narrative purposes and also for emotional weight but like you know other options for sure um and i guess that's pretty much the episode right like yeah we're sort of you know so we've got we kind of got our wish right there's going to be some sort of conflict between john and danny i think some of my favorites are back in the mix you have Tyrion and varus playing more of a role uh i like you know i always miss the puppet masters pulling strings and making things happen because that's what the show was kind of built on um you know the method by which they're having danny have you know i'm gonna call it a soft heel turn is is fine i think it's struggling of the baggage of the past seasons of just like never really completely nailing her characterization and not building up her and john's relationship and not doing enough legwork to get to this point that's why i think they had to rely on sort of like i mean glad they're not just going with i want the throne because that would have been a really like hard to swallow situation where everyone's like giving reasonable reasons why it's not going to work out and she's like but i want it like that's not going to be good so giving her personal motivation and vengeance like it helps uh makes you know makes her more unhinged but yeah what do you think yeah i i think the show could have done a better job um making it unclear whether or not we should be believing the hype about Danny. Right. Because there were so many seasons where it was just like, everybody was like, oh, the dragon queen, Misa, Misa. And you're like, but I'm also like, I don't, what has she really done to deserve any of this? And she kind of sucks. Like, she kind of makes mistakes all the time. And, uh, but everybody just seems to kind of grovel before her. And I think the sh- and it wasn't clear if it was the show was trying to make me believe she was this transcendent figure, and the show just wasn't doing a good job, or if 
maybe she wasn't the transcendent figure that all the other characters thought she was, and the show was trying to let me in on that joke. Uh, same thing with, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to leave, believe that Dan and Johnny are actually in love. <laughs> because I can't tell their chemistry if... Because I don't believe they're in love, and I don't know if that's because the show... That's what the show wants me to think. Like, Danny's just using you, John. Or if... Um, or if I'm supposed to believe what a great tragedy that they've had this falling out. But I don't know, man. But I, I think that there is an interesting story here if you have these two different people, one raised to believe in, the, in prophecy and lordship and entitlement, and another raised to believe that he is the unwanted bastard son of, um, you know, a, a once noble man. Uh, and then you, you have these two people and they have these very, these divergent paths in life and here's where they end up. Like, that's actually very interesting and very neat. Um, I just think that there are a lot of people who over the last 10 years, however long the show's been on, have been drinking the Kool-Aid about Daenerys Targaryen. And I'm not sure we were supposed to be drinking the Kool-Aid about Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah. That's one thing I've seen some, you know, people are like shouting character assassination or how could they let how could they ever think that danny is not the one who's supposed to be in charge like you know a lot of people and like like you said i'm i don't i don't fault them for thinking that way like we've been sort of all over the road on daenerys and i'm i'm okay with some complexity there right like that's part of what makes her character and the show good like the story good of like as opposed to just like a slow decline to you know evil like i don't really or even just like rage but yeah, I mean, I think that the pieces are all there, though. I mean, if you trace her path, she, you know, what was the first? The city before Marine. What was that one? Uh, so there's there's Yunkai, Yunkai. there's Marine, there's Astapor. I oh, which geez, order she did three. what. Well, there was the she, one... she was Yunkai, then Astapor, then Marine. The one, because she stayed in Marine, right? I think so, but... Or did she, I don't know. Anyway. But she bounces around, and she, like... Like three whole cities in uh, in Essos that she conquers and then fucks their whole shit up and then just bails. Like there's that scene yeah. where they like they're one of the cities. It was uh, there was this all this stuff about like oh she they they love their gladiatory gladiator pit and she, but she closed the pit and now they open it up up again and then she ends up in the pit because they're trying to kill her and then like meanwhile the entire economy of this place is falling apart and it's devolved into chaos she ends up in the pit she's like oh no and she just jumps on her dragon and pieces out like <laughs> this is not a good person yeah yeah and it's hard because they have these such these big inspiring moments right like i just watched so the context of this discussion for everyone at home and for greg is that on sunday uh shay and i had one of those days where you just do absolutely nothing uh-huh. and we spent it watching game of thrones i probably watched eight episodes of game of thrones on saturday or on sunday i mean stretching from like the latter half of season three through the beginning of season four so like mm-hmm. you know red wedding purple wedding the whole nine yards misa scene like and two things about this one related to this conversation like you know how could you not be like oh danny's so inspiring you know you have these big scenes where she frees all the slaves and like you know so i get that um i think you know the show sort of not doing a great job of handling the slavers bay storyline in general yeah um and also like it, I mean, it needed trimmed a little bit for sure because I mean, fucking Martin can't figure out how to get her out of there. 
so that is definitely a problem like mechanically that would make it a little confusing i think the other point i wanted to bring up is that so much in this episode and like the past two or three episodes sort of feel like the past two or three seasons like didn't matter <laughs> like when you, you know because i'm seeing like pete game of thrones right like Arya and the hounds buddy cop adventure and jamie and brienne's relationship developing and you know her saving him and then him saving her twice and then you know and so kind of like oh yeah we kind of picked up where we left off when you know when things got shitty for a while like it just felt that way for all these characters like you know Tyrion and sansa getting married and sort of having some some tender moments and learning each other you know learning about each other a little bit and all this stuff and it's just like oh yeah so we're kind of just like just doing that now and eh, those two or three seasons of for not every character but for some of these characters just felt like we didn't really need to have just to your point about like the narrative arc of these different characters ended at different points or has been on a treadmill for two seasons yes. while we wait around so that felt very obvious after watching these episodes where it's like yeah if, ne- if this season would have happened at season five it would have made complete sense for half these characters which is kind of crazy right well and i think that is kind of my one of my overarching theories about song of ice and fire and i'm pretty sure i've talked about it on the show before but that it's very clear when you read game of thrones the first book it is paced like the first book of a trilogy the it it, it feels that way and from what from what i understand when that book was you know first published martin was still thinking about it in terms of a trilogy and then it kind of took off commercially whatever and then he thought well maybe my trilogy can be a little bit longer and i can indulge some things and spend a little bit more time here and then the problem is that he stretched things out way too far and now he has no idea how to get everybody between what really should be the end of book two and to the start of book three he basically dragged book two out into four books (laughs) and i think you see that in the show because that's exactly what happened was you know, you get there to the end of season three or four, and all of a sudden the plot just goes all over the place. And now we're getting to the end, and it's kind of like, oh, all that stuff that happened in between, yeah, like you say, like season four and now didn't really matter. <laughs> we could have just gotten here. So, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like there's such a and they and looking back, they spend so much time. And they're you know to their fault, like they spent so much time on things that really didn't matter. Like, man, they spend so much time on Theon in season three and four. Holy shit! Like, this character who just like is kind of a nothing at the end of like this whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of mistakes. But anyway, I just want to put that context in. I'm just like that was a very interesting feeling I felt when I was watching that episode. I mean, it's good for them for remembering those things, I guess. But it just seems like. Oh, yeah, we should have kind of just cut to the chase a little bit earlier. Yeah. But I don't know. So, that being said, you know, I feeling a little more positive about the macro plot of this show. And I'm hoping that the land, the, the ending we get is... I'm ho- having hope that, like, there's going to be a lot of mechanics and in the weeds that don't make a lot of sense. And there's, you know, a lot of dumb shit. But I think ho- overall that the end message or end state is going to be something that i like hopefully yeah i just hope i hope that they continue to surprise me i really don't want season five or episode five just be another fucking battle episode 
Yeah, I think we're going to get some battling, but yeah. like I said, I think it's going to be hopefully more focused on groups of characters in certain situations, which is where the show yes. has done better and in the I, th- I think that Benioff and Weiss, like, it's very clear when, when they have to come up with action scenes, that's really when they're kind of at their worst, because that's when characters do inexplicable things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it is more the political maneuvering, I think they feel a little bit more comfortable and characters making decisions that are, even if they don't necessarily make sense, they're at least interesting. Yeah. But when it comes to the military stuff, it's just like, what are they? Why would this, why would they do this? Um, but I also think that there's, it would just be insane at this point to try and do a big battle because it's clear that the Daenerys Stark army is like done. Right. Yeah. And the, King's Landing is now dragon proof. And there's no yeah. there's no magic magic exhaust port that our heroes can throw a bomb in that's gonna blow up all the ballista, right? Mm-hmm. Like no. this I don't see I don't see a military solution for Daenerys here. So. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So that's why it's time time to send in the send in the assassins. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I think we're gonna get some payoff here because in I mean, I don't know if the same the pacing will take place as as it usually does, but usually you know season five or episode the second to last episode is all the big shit happens and then you know a couple big things happen in the last episode and, and falling action and you're gonna need to have a I feel like a significant amount of falling action in this show given where we're at right now, but I could be wrong about that. I don't know. I think we had a fair amount of it last night. That's like, true. We actually I think last night we wrapped up a few chapters for some yeah. people so that was, i guess that's what it made me feel happy about this episode was that we made progress <laughs> yes we have moved forward uh finally after years and years and years uh so yeah we'll see i'm looking forward to episode five uh i i think they're gonna i don't know i don't know what they're gonna do i'm actually kind of because they really surprised me with this episode because i think all the all the predictions were like episode four is going to be this lull between three and five Mm. and it wasn't because about halfway through it took a turn on you and you're like oh shit this is not what i expected i thought we were all just going to get into position for the siege and blockade of king's landing have a big fight in episode five and then uh, clean up the mess in episode six but then they're like i don't think we're doing the siege and blockade man yeah what do you think do you think that's going to be the big sort of decisive 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 conflict between danny and john and that danny's going to want to attack right away and john's going to want to basically caution you know advise caution and let like let's just stick to the plan of sieging them we still have maybe maybe i'm not sure how much of it's unclear how much of their navy was wrecked or whatever but like if they can you know all these other houses have just declared for you we can overwhelm them eventually let's just wait it out is that going to be the like the conflict or do you think it's going to be something a little more you know just john going to have a more active alternative plan i think that that i don't think the siege works because they lost the fleet which means they can't do they can't do the blockade part because they mentioned like we have to essentially cut off resupply from the iron islands uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, the Iron Islands can sail ships into the back of King's Landing and resupply. Well, Yara has the Iron Islands. They said that this episode. Right, but Euron's... Euron's fleet can go to Essos, I guess, and get shit or whatever. But... And they, people also forget the Iron Islands are on the fucking other side of this continent. Yeah. Has, has been ignored for a little while, so I'm not going to say that the show's going to stick right, to that. Right, so maybe they just said but get supplied by... Whatever. The Greyjoy fleet or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah by the Iron Fleet. Yeah, so they're, they're, that's what they're doing. Um... So without that, the siege doesn't really work. 
so right because the plan was to use the dragons to burn the fleet and right you know uh, well and so just well. to have a um you know they would have their own fleet um to blockade the 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 port of king's landing but um and the dragons but uh that probably won't work anymore <laughs> and daenerys is probably going to say screw it your plan won't work anyway so i'm just going to go in there and burn it all because i'm very angry now mm-hmm. um, once again it's sort of like how like you know it seems like, like you said king's landing is like mostly dragon proof so like what's the exact plan here i, I don't know i'm just very curious the mechanic like is it going to just be more hand wavy like we don't know how to write a military drama so fuck it like, <laughs> stuff or i'm not sure but yeah i don't i don't know what the plan would be but uh it seems like they're setting up that Daenerys is ready to burn King's Lady to the ground. And John probably doesn't want her to do that. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. So, well, and like, I'm actually kind of glad this didn't, they gave very little away in the uh, trailer for next week. Yeah. So I was kind of happy about that. Cause I'm like, it's basically just like, it'd be, it's the equivalent of people cocking their guns in an action movie. <laughs> just like, okay. Like, <laughs> I guess one shot of Euron looking terrified, which you know implies to me he's probably getting getting roasted I, someone said oh she's gonna make armor for her dragon and i'm like okay <laughs> i mean fine we should have done that like after the first one died to a projectile but whatever uh I, that's that's and again the pace that things go on at this show now like sure they could do that in a day yeah she shipped gendry gendry down and he made this super light material that somehow can let a dragon still fly holding a bunch of extra armor and shit yeah i don't know who knows I, I just, I have to say, like, I love, like, the number of hot take articles that get written on the Monday after Game of Thrones that are wild-ass theories about what's going to happen next, that's decreasing because the possibility space is collapsing. But I, 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 I love, like, I was still seeing headlines today, like, still trying to make the uh, Tyrion is the secret third Targaryen oh my God. theory happen. Like, do you see it in the, uh, in the... In the in the preview, he's standing in front of the dragon head carving, right? And I'm like, guys, there's two episodes <laughs> left. We're not doing any more of that. The Night King's oh not coming God. back. There's no more secret Targaryens. There's there's we're, there's no more secret magical weapon that's gonna get unearthed. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. We're done I, here. You know, I love that stuff in the you know back in the early days of the show and like when the books were you know wrapped up for now and we we're still had hope and dreams right of like another book coming out ever and like you know every day i go on the song of ice and fire subreddit as opposed to the free folk subreddit which is garbage land um for the record for those of you on reddit um the song of ice and fire subreddit and just like read theory after theory of like well researched and cited and well crafted things of like roose bolton's a vampire and like <laughs> you have me a bit just like this might be true like because like you know there's this you know this scene where they say this and do this and like you know there's been as people started to unearth the stuff that martin had embedded you know there's all this foreshadowing for the red wedding and all this foreshadowing for this and that and you're like oh wow like so you start looking for other things right and i'm just like i was so like into that for so long and then i eventually just like this book's never coming out why am i wasting my time on this but you can't do it for the show with two episodes left. It's no. just not a thing you yeah. should be doing. <laughs> I love that there's, there's people still think this thing's going to take a hard turn into like standard high fantasy. And if, if, if episode three didn't like convince you that this is not Lord of the Rings, it's not yeah. what this is. Yeah. Uh, 
We're not going to have any last minute revelations of who the real prince is. We're not right. doing that. That's not the show. Yeah. Uh, but like, there's still people hanging on to that idea. Like, the Might Night King might be back in episode five. Or, or like, what if, you know, Dario is going to come back with his army to bail out Daenerys, or the Iron Bank's going to collect their debt and the Second Sons might turn, which I'd say is a slight possibility. But, um, but like, it's just like, like you said a hundred times now, like, the pieces are on the board. Yes. Like, we we can still get surprises from with those pieces involved, but I don't think we're getting any more pieces added, whether they're callbacks to four seasons ago or you know a brand new piece altogether, or you know some oblique reference to Azora High because he's still got the Azora High heads out there thinking that it's still gonna pay off, man. That prophecy's still gonna pay off. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked that they even mentioned elsewhere in Westeros this episode. Like, oh yeah, because like that's one thing that has been bothering me this season. It's just like what what is this going on in the rest of this continent which we spent so much time learning about and learning the importance of different places and it's like and like we've seen the show sort of took did this thing where like the books don't do where it's like oh well they killed the leader of that family so now they just don't exist anymore yeah and it's just like that's not how that works there's i mean these are families there's like multiple members even when they kill multiple members of the family it's like there's still plenty of other martels and you know uh Tyrells and you know whatever else like these aren't just like it's not just like and their armies of hundred thousand like i think high gardens had a had hundred thousand men it's like they don't just go eh oh well and just like turn around and go home like i mean smaller armies do that but i just feel like there's been a little bit i mean not that i'm asking for the show to have drawn out been drawn out any longer but it's one more thing of that where like you set up this whole sort of structure of like how important all the individual seven kingdoms are and then you just dropped a bunch of them halfway through and it's just like okay whatever <laughs> so the fact that they mentioned that like dorn's declared for you and so did what else did they say i forget but you know like okay cool yeah but what does it mean anything no okay <laughs> so what we'll find out i guess we'll see in episode five titled we don't know yet we'll tell you on monday <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll see you next week. Later.